Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Thank you everybody who's joined up on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser if you want to support uh, the podcast and my other projects. Uh, thank you very much everyone who's been emailing me, everyone who's joined up listening to the podcast since the resistance went on to TV again this time round. I'm sitting in the State Library at the moment and this week's podcast is with John Vlismus who is a South African comedian and activist and I had a very nice time chatting with him in Perth though I'm now back in Melbourne. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. We range over a number of things including of course uh, the the politics of South Africa and uh, what what can be done or not done about those. That's about it. I'm going to let you get on with listening to the podcast. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com or tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I will be doing a reprise of the, the show Empire in Sydney on the 16th of June. That's the plan, the 16th of June, if you want to come along. I don't know if tickets are yet available, but I will let you know when they are. Otherwise, just plan to be there on the 16th of June at the Comedy Store in Moore Park in Sydney. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So, uh, who are you and what have you just been drinking? Uh, my name is John Vlismus, uh, and I have been drinking a sparkling mint tea, uh, which was uh, freshly brewed, apparently, and then it was delicious. Yeah, I had a, I had a sencha, which w- is uh, a wh- Japanese is green tea. Right. It's like your second from the top, but very high quality. And what makes you drink the second one from the top? Uh, I think that, uh, well, there's sort of, you have the matcha and then you have the gyokuro. So matcha is the powdered one for tea ceremonies and that's quite an intense thing. And the gyokuro is like the very tip buds of the first picking. Wow. And that's, again, you know, I tend not to drink that unless it's a very fancy Uh, occasion. You don't want to like, you know, just use that up at any occasion. Yeah, I feel like uh, maybe maybe it's more like wine or something where you'd want to have <laughs> an occasion to drink it. Right, right. That makes sense. Especially when other people are drinking sparkling mint, lime, dash, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you brought the tone down, I John. The t- I, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> have you been wrestling with, any, with anything recently? Uh, Ideas-wise? Uh, yeah. Well, I was wrestling with coming to Australia, uh, what to talk about, because uh, I've just done a show at home about race, and I, it was quite sort of... Um, say preachy but it probably was a bit preachy um and then you have to fight the temptation to be uh to be too safe but also not to be rude to your guest country yeah i think that's an interesting one because also the line changes in different places yeah and what's offensive in one culture is not necessarily offensive in the other absolutely like a a really good example is in australia the word wog is sort of a can be vaguely derogatory, but generally is used in a self-deprecating way by Australians of oh. Italian or Middle Eastern or Lebanese sort of descent right. or right. Greek. They tend to call themselves wogs, and it's not okay. a bit, you know it's it, it might make someone feel a bit down if you use it in a mean way, but right. it's not in itself super offensive. Oh, okay. In the UK, it's short for gollywog, and it's like the N word in America. Yeah, that's it not is, good. It's a killing word. Yeah, from where I come from, uh, that's it's not a great word. Uh, generally so that's interesting um, but then there's that thing of also not coming to a new place where admittedly I've, have, I know very little about Australia and then trying to be a commentator on you know there's just no point so I've I saved what I was going to say for the South Africans who've come here 
I call them the refugees from democracy. There so is that phenomenon, right? Well, particularly with the white South Africans who've come over here. They fled here. So it's just, you know, you left, you guys. That was my m- message. And they all had a bit of a guilty laugh. But they'll go home and probably by today they've had their third latte and they've forgotten they've about forgotten their feelings. Of about <laughs> yeah, I met a guy once who uh, sort of made me feel a bit complicated about all that. He was a South African guy and he was quite racist. And I said, oh, why did you leave South Africa? And he said, I left because it went to the dogs. And I was like, all right, wow. you're super racist. And yes. I said, oh, w- what do you mean? Just to sort of see what he meant. And he had had his wife killed by a, a bunch of uh, young black guys. Right. So then, th- then I felt... Yeah, I felt more complicated because he still definitely was a racist. Yes. But also... Well, that's the complexity, isn't it? It's nothing's polarized. Everything has facets. I mean, I get his rage. Yeah. But then, you know, everyone has rage of some kind yeah. in South Africa, especially. So uh, it's difficult. It is difficult. Although I have been the victim of crime at home. Uh, not, not No one's killed anyone that I love. Uh, but um, I've had, like, cars stolen and been mugged and stuff. I just don't see it as a... A race thing. Yeah. It's just a crime. It's a poverty thing or well, a yeah, social I mean, order thing. You know, we've all. He may say the countries have gone to the dogs. Perhaps it's the making of people into dogs that has caused his problem, and and uh-huh. that's the kind of thing which I, I feel, you shouldn't leave. You should fix things. Yes, I feel very sorry for people who do terrible things, and not not even necessarily in a patronizing way just that it's a terrible thing to do terrible things like it there's yeah, yeah. like it's a it's a two-sided sword you and can't what made you into someone who thought that doing terrible things was normal yeah what was behind that yeah i think it's it's a failure of imagination or of empathy in that you can't see the person who you're attacking as a person yeah and then do we do terrible things to them in revenge for their terrible things because that will solve everything yep then we can all be terrible <laughs> Yeah, that's a, it's a very old-fashioned way of, of solving problems is just bloodbaths. Just bloodbaths and then someone climbs out of the bath eventually and that's the winner. And that's the winner, yeah. <laughs> and imagine how cool he'll be. <laughs> he'll be. Well, he'll start a new religion, right? Isn't that exactly. the game? How does, how does your country feel now to you? Does it feel safer or less safe than it used to? Um, I would never say safer. I, I think it feels we're, we're, we're further along the road uh, that we need to go down. Uh, w- whether it will be easy for us or not, I don't know, uh, because um, or our children. But it's a necessary road. Um, um, and I always say to people that we've been asked to pay a price for, for what's been done. And it falls to us in this generation. So we need to um, get on with it. Uh, it, it. You know, nobody said you could just do terrible things to people for a long time and then just be forgiven and then you just carry on. And then, you know, um, people are even turning on the idea of Nelson Mandela now in South really? Africa. Y- yeah, like the fact that he was too soft and the fact <laughs> that he was too forgiving. Um, there are these two concepts at home now that are getting a lot of airtime. One is black rage and the other one is white silence. And, uh-huh. uh, and um, these are the big buzzwords now in sort of contemporary young writing and um, it's a little bit what you were saying earlier about people just um, what's the, I suppose if you um, what's the word um, if you if it's a bit reductivist like like you know it's simple just you know black rage and white silence but there are real things and and um, I think we have to wade through that quite a lot yeah I think the problem is that because so much of our or a problem is that because so much of our lives are now lived online and in the world yeah. of words, you can see 
uh, speech as action in a way that it isn't yeah. necessarily like it's part of or it's maybe it's a preliminary to action or it's, it's part of getting other people on board with your action but a lot of people go well I feel guilty for being white and that's enough yeah, exactly and exactly. it's not enough yeah you know I'd rather you didn't feel guilty I'd rather you were a racist who did good things than somebody yeah. who is just sort of self-congratulatory well exactly you know my my tweet makes me a better person I, I, I can't handle that there are no you know, these people are not writing essays. They're writing 140 characters. Yeah. And the other thing is that just because it's a democracy, it doesn't mean that your voice is valid. L l your tweet is valid. It just means you can be heard. But that doesn't mean that we have to take you seriously. I just feel that, you know, giving everyone a voice is a wonderful idea. Mm. But there are a lot of people who just are not offering anything. Yeah. And I think we're very bad at thinking past the one person thing. You were saying earlier that a lot of the discussions now are I'm a racist or I'm not a racist. Absolutely. And I feel like uh, in Australia particularly, uh, there's a lot of people who, are, who resent the idea of particularly of reparations towards Aboriginal people or Indigenous Australians. Yeah. They say, well, I didn't do it. I didn't do the wrong. Yeah. So in but my the show, wrong bought your well, you see, house. That's the problem with structural racism is people don't understand what that means. Mm. It's exactly what you just said and, and what I was saying earlier is that it's not a it's not a discussion about race. It's it's just an argument that you're saying I'm a racist and I'm saying I'm not, and it goes backwards and forwards and nothing gets solved. The old argument, which is similar to what you just said about the Aboriginals and reparations, I'm I didn't I didn't support apartheid. That, that's the standard argument at home. Y yeah, but apartheid supported you. Ha, huh. that's a good way to put it. So it's a stepladder that you were given and you climbed over other people. Yes. And now you're saying I didn't. Okay, but you did because I can see you. <laughs> so the problem is uh, there are very few white South Africans prepared to say I am privileged. Yes. And I did, do have an unfair advantage because it's, it then means you're complicit and it, it makes you guilty. And it, um, But my thing, as someone who's been through rehab, I know that the first thing is to acknowledge a problem. Yes. You have to admit it, right? So, so, so it's the same with this history of ours. Uh, you just admit it. And you just see relief in people's faces when you go, okay, it happened. Yes. You know, it's like Jewish people being told that the Holocaust never happened. You can't have a discussion with someone who begins from that premise. That the, yeah, that, the pr that the thing that you see as so obvious and so real is invisible to them. Do you know what I mean? You can't say to someone in their face, I as a white person do not represent the things that were done wrong to you. Of course you do. Like, you know, it's so obvious. So I'm hoping that the, there is a class of young South Africans and they're across all sorts of walks of life. and They're just producing work that's exciting. And I don't agree with all of it, but at least it's, it's starting to happen. And yeah, that yeah, kind of active discussion. Yeah. You know, not all intellectuals are right. Um, um, or you don't have to agree with all intellectuals, maybe more correctly, but it's, it's exciting. We're going back to a time of... I think intellectuals are starting to kind of find their feet. I think people resent the idea of privilege because they feel that it erases their own genuine struggles or problems or achievements. Right. They, you know, they, they're like, I, I've had a hard life or I've had these difficulties yeah. or you, are you saying that I didn't work for what I have? Yeah. And that, that makes people feel very upset. You know, spoiled and children want credibility somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I am. It is tough. It was hard. I struggled. But I mean, everyone has one way or another struggled, but it, it doesn't. And, and also the other thing about privilege is I think that the, is a problem for the left is that people on the left articulate privilege as something that is universal 
that it if you have privilege you have it in every environment and in every right. space which is not yeah. true it's not it's not true uh, even though your sort of wealth or your achievements in school or your, your job might rest on your privilege if you're in a particular place at a particular time maybe you don't have that kind of privilege maybe yeah. someone else is above you and yeah. it's a, it is it's a moving target sure it doesn't necessarily define you in every space but in other spaces it does yeah i th- think it goes back to your earlier thing of your jenga tower um uh you know your life is a jenga tower and there are pieces missing and there's some that are critical and y- you know uh, yeah sure privileged kids can get abused or, or you know have a hard time or you know d- hardship um but i think in the in the, in the discussion around race which is so big for me um at home um, it's uh, privilege is like um, yeah it's another element and it, it doesn't necessarily discredit you it doesn't yes. have to no it doesn't make you less of a human it doesn't make you less of a worthwhile y- person y- and anyone who thinks it does is not really being a humanitarian <laughs> you know, it's not really interested in humans it, you're more interested in winning the argument and, and that's another thing at home is people don't trust each other's agendas yes so when you come to the table to discuss race the first thing people tend to do is attack each other's agenda it's like you mentioned earlier about Hillary and, and Trump. Um, um, people would rather attack their agenda than the issue on the yeah, table. Yeah, when somebody said, but isn't she corrupt? They'd yeah, say, you're yeah. a sexist, <laughs> which is, doesn't help anybody at all. It doesn't really compute. I mean, it's, yeah. I think, I think uh, just to go back two steps, I think a good example of the kind of point I was trying to make about uh, relative privilege or how it changes is I used to do athletics, right? And yeah. I was not a very good athlete. Right. Uh, by the end, I was solid, but I started off very unfit. And and so in my athletics squad, I was probably one of the larger girls there and I was a bit you know, slower than the others and, and everything. And then I was also in in theatre sports. Okay. So there were all... So when I was in, when I was in, and it would go in the same day, I would go from athletics training to theatre sports or vice versa. And I would go from feeling very sort of clumsy and, and big to immediately feeling like I was too skinny next to these like beautiful, voluptuous, artistic, elegant <laughs> girls. And so it was a very strange, immediate shift in perspective. Wow. And in, in, in neither circumstance did I, did I change at all, but it Absolute was just my context. position in the group changed. Right. That's crazy. From being too sort of clumsy to being too fit. So, isn't that a good um, a warning about uh, locus of control? Yes. Um, you know, we. I think that that's a that's a big thing that I learned with addiction is the locus of control. That was like the the only thing I I needed to understand. It was like a long time ago, it was like twelve years ago. Uh, but just understanding what a locus of control was and where it needs to reside. Do you want to explain that further? So essentially, it's not a term I've heard before. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so a locus of control is uh, if you're in a struggle against, let's say, alcohol in my case, which and, and cocaine, um, um, those are inanimate objects, but I've allowed the lo- my locus of control, so my center of control, is uh, with the inanimate object or substance mm-hmm. and therefore I would have to live a life of avoidance because I must just avoid it because it's out of my control if I see it I'll use it and then so I have a different approach which is I the locus of control is in me and so therefore I vet I must calibrate myself not the you can't beat whiskey yes it, it, you know it's everywhere and it's all powerful and it just exists yes it doesn't have to make an effort so when I go to hotels now I there is booze in the minibar and there's if there's wine in the food I eat the food I don't I don't avoid it. I just yeah. know that I cannot drink. And, yes. so, and so I feel it's the same idea uh, when changing contexts make you feel 
different. It's yeah. amazing how that external locus of control recalibrates your feeling about yourself. Yes, absolutely. And you in know. and in neither of those cases, maybe because I was young, uh, in neither of those cases did I feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> like I, if I had had you know more perspective on my own whatever insecurities, I could have gone and been like in the athletics you know? group, I'm the voluptuous one. I yeah. get to be the sexy girl. Or in the theatre sports group, I get to be the fit one. But it, I, it was completely the opposite. Oh, I'm the fully adaptable human being who's able to be both in theatre sports and in athletics. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was a... <laughs> But it, it was strange, uh, and it wasn't until a lot later that I realised that about myself was the, that I had, I had very little sense of perspective on my own body. Yeah, but I mean that's what makes uh, I I really liked your show, and and I what I loved about it was your ability to cover so many different perspectives. Mm. That's actually quite cool. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. It's just true. I don't have that sort of time. So it's great to watch you for an hour and, get, and, do, and feel like someone's done all the work. I'm just going to record. I, ha- I had a lady come out of my show the other day and she was saying to her friend, I feel smarter for having watched that show. And that yeah. made me feel very good. I know Toomey was like deeply, uh, in fact, last night, uh, maybe this is uh, too much information, but I got home and I was like, oh, you're up. And she sent me a screenshot. She was watching your one of your specials or whatever. She goes, I'm just watching... I'm just watching Alice and I'm trying not to judge myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had my show go up last night on the, um, on the ABC, which I didn't oh, cool. know until I started getting messages. Right, messages. Including one person who told me I was as funny as a prolapsed ass. So just wow. a good reminder that you I've can't please I've never come across a prolapsed ass. I'm everyone. not sure how funny that is. <laughs> I, think it's, I, think it's, I think of all of the, the terrible things that can happen to your inside, it probably is the funniest. <laughs> I just see a lot of humor just in the words. They, it just it's where the inside is on the outside. Wow. Okay. It's, uh, well, it's like a, bu- a butt a balloon. B- right. Well, as my dad sometimes used to say when he was younger, as unattractive as a burst asshole, I imagine it's something similar. Much the same uh, thing. Much the same. How would your dad know <laughs> what that is? It worries me now. It worries, yeah. <laughs> now I think I it's think a thing it. now. I, I mean, oh, this is me just going off my brother's friends who like to tell me terrible things because right. I react. Oh, I see. So they love that, get a rise out of you. Yeah, apparently that's a whole genre now, is the, is the outside inside. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because people are seeking ever more extreme forms of stimulation. Oh, when you said, sti- I didn't think you were going to say stimulation. I, it wasn't, I thought you meant maybe s- sort of extreme, I don't know, gross art stimulation. Well, wow. I mean, is this, I guess that's what it always is. Everything on the internet is just a I little... I suppose, in a way or another. A little, you know, endorphin button. I think that's the other thing is um, it's quite a good um, the things I often judge or laugh at uh, I worked with Jerry Springer um, in South Africa I oh wrote wow. for him and um, yeah I'm trying did to he have a show myself. in South Africa? he did it wasn't the show that you may know um, where everyone fights but um, it was a talk show where he just int- I don't know what he was doing he obviously had to spend some time out of the country I don't know what he was doing anyway I got the job and I wrote the monologue and I met Jerry Tax Springer purposes could be something like that so um, I, um, I spent some time with Jerry and, and uh, I learned about him and, and he's quite a, um, interesting p- he had a, quite an interesting political career actually, mm. um, civil rights movement and uh, he was a young mayor and um, basically found his way to a show which was fail proof uh, because it provides that which you're just talking about now, it's this kind of I don't Shock know, value, shocking voyeurism and, and rubbish. Yeah. But what it did, um, I suppose if we're going to be inquiring minds uh, you can extract anything from everything um, um, 
it gives you a very interesting perspective on who's the middle America. Yes. It's the people who are looking for the prolapsed um, you know, syndrome. Those people are real and, and they make up a huge belt of us. Of society, yeah. Yeah, I, oh, I don't know how I feel about that stuff. I didn't grow up with, with TV and so occasionally, and I don't watch it on my own because it's just not part of my vocabulary right. of like, what shall I do? I'm bored. I will oh. do other things before I do. You read. Yeah, I'll read or I'll go for a walk or I'll listen to an audio book or I'll draw or right. I'll have a nap right. or I'll meet a friend. Yes. I never think to watch a television watch show. television. I, w- I will watch it with friends. But that right. makes my television watching entirely reliant on other people's taste. Right, it's like an appointment thing. You're going to yeah. watch something specific. You don't just let pictures go past and No, and I, I spent, off. when I was last in the UK, I was in the household of somebody who did that, who would just be doing other things while watching television. And I, I think it's partly because I, I can't do two things at once. Right, just you need to like commit I'm, to... Yeah, so you can't, I can't have a chat while this. I yeah. have to be focused on one or the other. I can't switch I between the I two. I was very watching quickly. things until I got this Neil Gaiman book, and now I feel I've not I'm not watched anything. I'm just reading this because I'd like to finish it. Well, <laughs> I I have just started watching with a friend of mine the American Gods uh, wow. television series. I can't series. wait to see that. Yeah, it's very. Um, the book was brilliant. Yeah, I I think the television show is quite good, and where it's a little bit confronting, it's confronting in the way that the book was. So it has these very sort of lush. Uh, close-ups and and floaty sort of uh, half unreal camera moments and it it sort of has that a little bit uncanny and maybe a bit too lush a little bit too much but I think that's sort of in the book as well right right yeah I mean I love the book it's it's just a brilliant concept yeah um yeah so I I, I'm going to look out for that I think yeah I mean other than Shadow Moon is a little bit too good looking to be really? the character ah. in the book because in the character he's quite beaten up and a bit yeah he's a bit sort of uh, grizzled so he's not grizzled he's in not grizzled he's a very attractive and large black man he's nice. a very beautiful thing yeah, to look I, at I can see he's had a huge effect on you <laughs> yep. Mr. Shadow Moon <laughs> yeah he's a uh, well I mean that's what television does you need to have people who are good to sure. look at well it's, it's network things it's, it's a different world yeah uh, have you done television much? Uh, I have. I've had a couple of TV shows. Um, I had a, I had a TV show when I was younger. It was like a live music thing where I used to wear dresses and mascara and just like, just do crazy. I had, um, like they want to talk to young people, so they wanted me to do important things. So for example, um, they wanted to bring on some like social worker about if what to do if you're raped, and ah. I said no. Can we get someone who survived rape? Can we talk to a someone who's prepared to? And a woman who was like uh, heard about this was a journalist. Uh, who got attacked and literally like 48 hours later the show was going live she was like I'm doing it and I was like bless you ma'am wow that's so we, intense so we got her on we did like um, things like that we did um, you know live piercings on TV we did um, interview the people who run these kind of drug um, sort of little um, stalls at like big events if you overdose or you've done something you shouldn't have oh, yes. you know they give you non-judgy help yes <coughs> we had them on so very much like that um, sex workers um, telling us what they do or you know so that was quite fun and then I hosted a really weird thing which is like sort of a sports chat it wasn't me at all you at don't all. seem very it sports so didn't work, oriented I started interviewing people like to try and break it up like rugby stars and then Peter Gabriel was in town so I spoke to him or I just had all these musicians and it just confused the whole <laughs> audience <laughs> because I couldn't speak to sports people in, the, in their language all. no I can't at all either. 
So I did that for a while. I did an open source thing where I sort of um, hosted this open source program that was funded by a very famous South African who made a lot of money in IT, Mark Shuttleworth. He went to the space. He's mm. the first African in space. Um, I did that. I've done some TV, but yeah, weird, weird stuff. Yeah, I haven't really, and I'm I'm pitching a thing at the moment that may or may not ever end up. Oh wow! What I think is it? a lot of people say yes until they say no in this industry. Yeah, I'd um, almost mm. rather they said no. But what is the what is the idea? Uh, it would be based on my last special, which was the Resistance, which is about the house I grew up in. My granny, who's a Holocaust survivor, right. and she had this house that her husband had bought, and then he died when my dad was about six, and she had this house. And she didn't really charge anyone any rent, but she'd let all these very strange people come and live with us in, wow. in these different sort of... It was like a boarding house. Okay. And they would come and go, and, and, and it was always very dramatic. They were always very strange people. And it wasn't until much later in my life that I found out that they had these incredible stories, these sort of insane stories. And, and uh, that was the show that went up last night that Jimmy okay. saw. Uh, but it was almost... I mean, I only talk about three of those people... Okay. But there were just dozens and dozens. So uh, it was this gallery of just gallery of people. freaks, yeah. But all of whom had these incredible backstories because people aren't that broken for no reason. Sure. And Granny had this very generous heart and very non-judgmental heart. Okay. Uh, she had a real s- soft spot for sex workers uh, and for people who were yeah mad in various ways. And she would let them live there, and she'd cook them food, and she'd you know have big dramatic Hungarian fights with them and uh, <laughs> it was a very it was a very unusual way of growing up sounds like a Tom Robbins novel <laughs> uh, you grew up in a Tom Robbins novel yeah a little bit <laughs> like a Jared Durrell sort of uh, my family and other animals sort of thing it was it was good I mean it was useful in some ways it, it gave me access to a lot of different people right it's interesting you mentioned the sex work thing because I found that interesting how all these terms like whore and whatever, um, the women get the sort of blame for an industry that's really powered by the customer. Yes, <laughs> yes. It I seems to get away. It uh, does. There's this f- statistic now that's causing a little bit of moral panic, which I think is hilarious, that uh, millennials are having less sex than previous generations. Oh, and one of the reasons that's being posited, other than like oh, access to pornography and video games, uh, which I don't mm. think is a good reason, right. uh, is that m- young men are now afraid of being accused of sexual assault or rape if they're in a circumstance where the woman isn't sure or if she regrets it later. Right. That they fear that their reputation will be ruined by promiscuous sex. Oh, wow. And I think that's great. If it's real, it's fantastic. Yeah, if that's... Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think... I don't think more sex is an absolute good. And if the sex that isn't being had is that uncomfortable grey area, yeah. oh, well, let's mm. just give it a shot, kind yeah. of. I think that's good Look, if that's falling off the map. Anyhow, iffy sex is pointless, really. If you're going to have sex, you should really enjoy it. I, I don't think there's any point to sex, just average sex, is there? No, I don't. It's overrated. I think it is overrated. I used to think that, I mean, particularly when alcohol is involved, but, but for young men... Like, the best case scenario is you have strange, uncomfortable intimacy with someone who you don't know very well. Yeah. And the worst case scenario is you accidentally rape someone. 
That's probably, yeah, that's the downside there. Right, so the maths doesn't work out for no, me. No, the odds are not good. And also, it's not really having sex. It's a pattern. It's just a pattern of I go out, we drink, we all find someone, we all prove that we can. Yeah. Everything after that is really on the downward trajectory of being drunk. So, so you know, it's a bit of a blur. No one really knows. All it means is that at breakfast, you can confirm that you also have another notch in your belt. So you're not weird. Um, I don't so really do you think that young, particularly young people, are, are counting sex off against each other rather than against their partners? I think uh, it's become less, impo- as you were saying, it's less of a, a value. Um, it's, that's an old scoring system. Mm-hmm. And what is cool about millennials is they don't seem as troubled by how I'm judged. In well, that perhaps way. Perhaps they've moved on. I, I don't know enough. But I, maybe they judge themselves in other ways. Yes. Like, I don't know how oh, my daughter definitely. scores herself on social media. You know, is it how many likes? Is it how many friends? Is it, I don't know if that's the case. And, and um, I'd like to think things are getting better. Yeah. I do know that evolution is not a kind or an intelligent thing. No. It's just a process. And it's pretty fucking... It has no morals. It yes. has no, like, whatever. It, and it's not always the best thing that evolves. It's the strongest thing. It's the strongest thing. So I'm sure there were plenty of peacocks doing very delicate and lovely artistic things with their <laughs> tails. But the ones we've got are like, jazz hands, Jerry Springer peacocks. I just got laid. <laughs> um, um, so exactly. And um, that's always interesting to me is to balance between what is evolution at work, which, uh, you know, you can't stop. But then uh, evolving to a point where you understand evolution is not everything. Yes. It can't be. No. No. You know, do you evolve to a point where you make accommodation for the week? You know. um, I mean, not if you're America. (laughs) No, no. no, It's it's too big to fail. Um, It's it's astonishing to me, particularly when it comes to their healthcare system, where they say, well, I don't want to pay for this person's healthcare. I don't want to pay for that person who's sick or weak as though you will never be sick or weak. Exactly. As though you will never need somebody. I mean, that's the whole point of insurance is that you pay for somebody else's stuff. Yes. And then at some point, except, you know, you may never get into a car accident, but you still pay your car insurance. Yeah. You know, you may never get have your house burned down in a fire, but you still pay your house insurance and it pays for somebody else's house fire. Yes. But you will get sick and you will get old. Isn't that that thing of when disease came for them, I said nothing because I was not them? Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Disease is the Nazis, I think. Yeah. Is the <laughs> it's the kind of idea there, um, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's an interesting, um, what I am excited about is what kind of um, intellectual work will come out of the millennials. Yes, you know, because it can't all just be coffee and fonts. No, there's someone's thinking, and, and you know, you'll get that eventually. And, and I mean, I think to a degree you are. I mean, my daughter, on small level, you know, um, we have this thing about music. Um, we love music, and, and uh, but she doesn't use any of the music platforms that I use. And and her thing is, but why do you buy music? Why why do you have to own it? Just use it when you're using it. So so she only um, streams music, and then when she's done, she doesn't have anything stored. Yeah. And it's like this thing of like, fuck, man, that is so clever. You know, I just, uh, I I like being a dad because it's like being an iPad 2, watching an iPad 4 roll off the production line and go, yeah, we made that. that's not a bad way of doing it. (laughs) But on the other hand, if you don't pay artists, which streaming sites don't really do, then the only people making art are the people who can afford to make art. 
Um, so I have a slightly different view. I feel that um, you're always going to be contending with the monsters. Like, they're always going to be the wolves. So, so yes, um, but that's inevitable because Silicon Valley is not the beautiful place full of loving hippies that everyone thinks it is. It's a fucking terrible place. And Uber is just a big, um, you know, it's a big monolithic beast that's taking, you know, a lot of jobs away from people. I understand it's sexy and it can make sense if you spin it. Airbnb will destroy hotels eventually. But um, <coughs> we as artists have to find ways to resist that um, thing. And uh, so, for example, watching you live will become the most special thing you can do. And so that will become a really premium thing. Because it's a, a limited... You know, yeah, or your podcast, or you know, y you'll find ways to. What, a friend of mine who's a great satirist in South Africa, a very famous satirist called Peter Dirk Ace, he's been around for a very long time. He's a great um, mm. apartheid sort of um, uh, anti apartheid activist and now an, an anti ANC activist. He's a, he's a great guy. <clears throat> and he said to me one day, he said, Make all the corporate money you can and use that money to fund your terrorist activities. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've kept that as a mantra and. Um, so I, I know what you're saying, but uh, those business monsters, are, I think, will always be there. And we just have to keep being uh, artistic resistance. You yeah, know, finding and there ways are good models coming up now for individual funding of artists. I think, you know, right. Patreon and things like that, I use that. Okay. Uh, and people can, people can make their own tiny audiences and build their own little communities of support. I more about these things of which you yeah. speak. I'll, well, we can chat about <laughs> that afterwards. But um, uh, where can people find you online? Um, people can find me online. They can either search my name, John Vlismus, uh, on um, on Facebook. Um, that's that's a good place. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is Forty Short because my name was taken. Oh no! <laughs> was taken, but um, that was my suit size when I was younger, and I drank a lot, and I was much larger than I am now. I was a Forty Short. Forty Short. And when I was trying to find a Twitter handle, um, one of my friends said that'd be a rap name, and I was horrified that anyone would think I ever rap. No. I said, no, but it can be my Twitter handle. <laughs> no, but you're very, you're very lithe and fit now. Was it all just the drinking, or uh, just drinking, self-loathing? Uh, I think um, you know, um, cocaine for some reason as a stimulant really gives you a bit of a bloat. Um, I think. So um, I did lots of those things, but I just cleaned up, and then I stopped eating meat um, about 12 years ago as well. For ethical reasons, or um, it was like I didn't want to eat dead stuff. I, I kind of thought I was going to die any minute. So, so I am. Um, I stopped, uh, that kind of scared me. I wish I could say that it was, um, it has become for ethical reasons. Uh, I'm more concerned about the line speed of, of, of getting meat prepared, like from a cow to steak. What has to happen in between is not fair on anyone, the animal, the people who do it. It's just a shitting, it's a bad idea. I remember when I got to America and uh, I didn't eat, any meat. Now, when I'm here now, I will occasionally eat meat, usually if I think it's going to be thrown away. Right. Uh, that's my ethical right. thing. position. Right. Uh, or non-ethical position, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. But when I got to America, I didn't eat any meat for the whole time that I was there because I walked into a supermarket the first day and there was a chicken on sale for $2. Right. And I just thought nothing alive is worth $2. Like nothing right. should go from birth yes. to death plus packaging plus transport plus Labor, storage yeah, plus everything for two dollars. I couldn't, it's and then it, it was just so repulsive to me that that idea. Uh, I I definitely think that um, production of let's call it protein because uh, it's across all the meats and things. Um, 
is uh, is problematic for lots of reasons. Um, I can tell you that medically, being a vegetarian for 12 years has not improved my life. It's probably made me slightly weaker. Um, that's just in my own case study. Um, I'm happy to have that trade-off. I'll break mm. some bones and stuff. I, I, I'm fine with that. I do wear leather, so I'm also a hypocrite, um, um, <laughs> which I'm becoming more. Uh, you know, it's. I think it's. It's not about not being a hypocrite. It's about what. What kind of hypocrite are you prepared to be? Um, so I don't. I avoid those arguments with people about why am I a vegetarian because it, it's often not a discussion. It's to trick you out mm. into f- making someone feel better about eating meat, and yes. then I get bored of people telling me. I'm, I'm going to become a vegetarian. Okay, I'm not interested. I, d- I don't care whether you eat meat or not. It doesn't matter. Yes. My daughter grew up, I cooked meat for her in our house um, because I don't know enough about a kid to decide for them. Um, so she ate meat to a point, then she stopped eating meat. So now she's back on fish, which I'm cool with and I'm happy to make for her. Um, but there's definitely a problem with taking the amount of protein we do, putting How it into an she? animal. She's 15, 16 next month. 15, 16. Get her, get her to occasionally check her iron levels. Oh, really? Because okay. women lose iron at higher rates than men. Oh, really? For obvious right. reasons. Okay. So that that's a thing for female vegetarians, oh, so particularly in that teen area. Just I will have just a look make her pull the bottom of her eye down, and if it's pink, yep. she's fine. And if it's sort of whitish or yellowish, oh, not she's good. probably low on iron. Oh, so I can get her some iron tablets or things. Yeah. Okay. She's back on fish, so that's good. But I am. Um, it's difficult because it goes back to the Jenga tower, which I think is a, f- a fantastic analogy for a lot of things, actually, um, is we don't want to talk about uh, what is vegetarianism or why. What are the, we want to just go, well, you're wrong and yes. I'm right because that's wrong. Yes. So I get told all the time, what are you going to do for protein? And, you know, what are you going to eat at the barbecue? And why are you wearing leather if you, you know, a, a Muslim friend of mine who I once saw drinking a beer, I'm like, dude, isn't that like, that's not cool. And he was like, um, "I will discuss that with God when I see him." <laughs> uh, it's not really in the. Co- it's not in our conversation. Yeah, and that's I, that was the best mind your own fucking business that I've ever had from a friend. It was brilliant, and I learned a lot that day. It was brilliant. That's a, yeah, that's a very very good way to do it. The Jenga tower, I think we did before the podcast. It's just oh, right, the, right. the theory that uh, at the moment people treat each other's arguments like a house of cards. If you pull one illogic out of it the whole thing collapses yeah. and then we're like haha I have won yes. whereas you should treat it more like a Jenga tower and pull yeah. out that argument that you think is flawed and see if the whole argument stands yeah because a lot of them do stand actually because it's not about winning it's about finding the truth uh, exactly and people are complicated and, and uh, nothing's absolute no the world um, is a Jenga tower <laughs> People are complicated and nothing is absolute. I think that's a really good note to end on. Uh, oh, thank thanks. you so much for having uh, coming and thank having you. tea with thank me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the tea. It was delicious. Oh. I'm not even a tea drinker. It was very, very well, good. Now you will be. I will be from now on. Bye. Bye.